Each season, it feels like the first day of school when you start training camp. You're still excited about it, and I think that's important because it means you still have your love and you still get that, that same kind of excitement that you would get you know, as a kid when you lay your outfit out and you set your jersey out and you put your shoes out and you match up the socks and figure out what you're going to wear. I'm really looking forward to this season. Kentucky has a history of players being better in the NBA than they were in college. There's a lot of, lot of situations to where guys aren't able to really show who they are because of spacing, because of utilization, and once they get to the league, they either blossom or they become more than what people expect. You want to take care of your body, you want to put yourself in a position to be as fresh as possible for the playoffs. As the season progresses, we'll look at dates to where maybe I take a lighter load on in practice and see how that translates to how I feel um, late in season. But I just don't think we're in a place right now where we can just pick games on the calendar and say, all right, we're going to sit these games because you never know how the season's going to go. Welcome to the Anthony Munoz episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 78. While you're listening to this podcast, we are about two preseason games in. A lot of other teams have been playing all across the world, um, in Japan, in China. Teams are traveling on the road. I think the Utah Jazz went to Milwaukee. Zion made his debut and also destroyed the Chicago Bulls the other night. So things are starting to turn and the NBA is finally taking form. We're able to watch duos compete with each other and against other teams, new faces in unfamiliar places. And meanwhile, we're here in Portland trying to find our rhythm, get ready for the regular season where we will open up against the Denver Nuggets. Life is good. The sun is shining. The rain is gone. And basketball is back. Jordan, you've been able to watch a few preseason games now. Are you excited that basketball is finally here? Are things shaping up the way you thought they would based on what you're seeing from a continuity standpoint in preseason? How are you feeling as a casual fan who works in the business? Well, I feel great. Uh, I've, I've watched a lot of preseason, probably more than than I needed to. But just out of curiosity to see what's working and uh, you know what rookies look good, what free agents uh, look good in new places. What looks strange or maybe uh, not fluid? And I- I've seen some things that impressed me. You mentioned New Orleans. I- I've been really impressed with them more so than I thought I would be. Um, you know, Zion goes for I think thirty or twenty nine against the Bulls. I caught most of the game. He he looked every bit as advertised. But more importantly, I, I love the the connection with Lonzo. Um, you know, it's it's nice to see. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, a guy out of Virginia Tech I really liked. Um, and they also have, don't forget, um, a Jackson Hayes, so who hasn't really played. But they have great young talent um, and a team and that is going to be very difficult to deal with. I don't know if they're a playoff team, but they're going to be competitive, the Pelicans will be. And then on the other side of it, you know, Dallas is probably quietly um, one of those teams that hasn't really gotten a lot of publicity. Um, but you think about who they have specifically with with Porzingis and Doncic. Um, I mean, I don't know if there's a better one-two punch in the front court in basketball right now than those two, at least in terms of guys that are, you know, in their early 20s. I mean, they, they have tremendous talent. Porzingis is obviously in great shape. He looks very strong. Uh, his body looks entirely different. Um, and I thought both of them looked really good together, specifically in the pick and roll with Doncic's um, you know, running it. I mean, there, there's clearly a connection there that is going to get better, but is already very good. So those two teams, New Orleans and Dallas, to me, in the West have been really interesting. 
Yeah, I think you made a great point. I think the transition guys have made from working out in the summertime to playing pickup in September to actually translating to actual preseason games now, you can see a difference in continuity. You can tell what teams have been together, who's been working out together in the summer, and how they've been able to kind of take those individual workouts and bring them together collectively as a team. I think for me personally as a player, you go from training individually, working on specific stuff, having longer lifts in the summertime, focusing on your conditioning, to being able to actually play in a team setting where you're getting up and down, you're getting hit by screens, you're having to fight over screens. Uh, playing against another team is, is always fun because you get tired of running the same sets, you know, understanding personnel so much better with your team to where you get to hit somebody else, score on somebody else, defend somebody else. It becomes more fun. And it is kind of like being a kid. I always say each season it feels like the first day of school when you start training camp. You're still excited about it. And I think that's important because it means you still have your love. You still have your hunger for the game, even though you've done it before. And you still get that that same kind of excitement that you would get, you know, as a kid when you lay your outfit out and you set your jersey out and you put your shoes out and you match up the socks and figure out what you're going to wear. So I'm really looking forward to this season. My body feels great. Um, we'll be cognizant of our load in preseason, our load in practice, obviously it'll be tough to kind of manage uh, load management per se during the regular season because there's so many games and each game has a different type of magnitude with how close the race is going to be. But it'll be very important for us to to really be cognizant of our reps in practice, you know, off days, you know, in between games. And we'll probably sit some yeah. more preseason games before the regular season starts yeah. to, to make sure we're fresh and have our legs underneath us. But you brought up the Dallas Mavericks, you brought up Zion, the pace the Pelicans are playing. I think Lonzo Ball's shot looks great. You can tell he's put in a lot of time. Yeah, it's way could, it's could, way tighter. A lot less wasted motion. Less wasted motion. It's fluent. And obviously, J.J. Redick as a teammate is going to help. I'm not sure what type of relationship they have, but having an elite shooter like that on the team who has a certain type of work ethic. He's going to be in the gym late. He's going to be there early. I think having those type of veterans around you is always beneficial to a player. And I think shooting competitions, things they may be doing, just being able to watch and, and see how he approaches the game has to rub off on a lot of other players, not to mention having Drew Holiday as a teammate who's a scorer, shooter, distributor, can do a little bit of everything. I think that's a great environment for those young guys, and they're going to be really good this season. Not just because of Zion, but because of everyone. I think they're a borderline playoff team. Interesting. That's really interesting. I wonder what the, you know, we haven't talked about Brandon Ingram, but I wonder for him and Lonzo and, and to a degree Josh Hart, but being out of LeBron's shadow, being out of L.A., how that will help them, um, you know, in a smaller market, especially now that you have Zion, who's going to take off, a, you know, take on a lot of the pressure. And obviously Drew Holiday, you mentioned, is an all-star caliber player. Um, I, I think for those guys, leaving the Lakers was maybe the best thing that ever happened. Just like I, I thought like D'Angelo Russell, when he went to Brooklyn, it was the best thing for him. I wonder if it, if it will be the same or similar for, for these young players. I think it's definitely nice sometimes to have a fresh start, to be able to kind of escape. When you're in a shadow like LeBron's, LeBron is arguably one of the greatest players to ever play the game. He brings a different type of pressure to the game, the media attention that comes to the game, all that stuff kind of changes. And I think for those young players, they were exposed to a lot early on. And to be able to kind of have a fresh start, obviously being in New Orleans is different than being in, in a market like L.A., but they still have media attention. They still have 
a different type of focus on them because for one, people want to see how they react to being in a new situation. And for two, they're on a team with the number one pick, a player that hasn't seen this much hype since LeBron James. So I think the role has changed. It's reversed a little bit, but they still have 30 plus nationally televised games. You're talking about a team who didn't make the playoffs um, last season, but is having preseason games on national television. That kind of shows you where they're at right now and how the dynamic has changed for the Pelicans. And I think it'll be good for them. New environment, fresh start, new roles, uh, obviously. Um, they had a summer to kind of work on certain things and probably have a chip on their shoulder. You know, going through a trade like that, you know, can can do one of two things. It can motivate you or it can discourage you. But if it discourages you, which leads you to wanting to work harder, I think it's definitely a positive. And in most of their cases, I think uh, it's definitely shifted to that. And not to get off topic here, but to just briefly talk about the Miami Heat. Yeah. Um, Myers Leonard, shout out to my guy, Myers Leonard. He's been starting center uh, for the Miami Heat, so I've been following from afar. And uh, I was impressed with the uh, the kid from Kentucky. I like his movement. I like his pace, his size, and his ability to knock down shots. I think that translates right away. And uh, he's going to be he's going to be someone who's very, very successful um, early on and later on in his career because of his work ethic, the stories I hear about him, and how his game translates to the NBA right now. CJ, you know I've been talking about Tyler Hero for months. I know you have, and I couldn't. I couldn't wait. Remember we had this I conversation. I couldn't wait to see him play, so I could, so I could judge you, you so wait? I could judge you based on what I've seen. And he's an <laughs> Excel guy, so I knew he had some talent in him. But I wasn't. I was impressed with the movement. He got some handle. Yeah. He's got a good pace. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I think it. Being there with Jimmy Butler and those guys, uh, obviously Pat Riley, that organization, they breed they breed a, a culture of working hard, being in shape, doing things the right way. So I think he'll be uh, very successful. CJ, you know I love Tyler Hero. We've talked about him a lot. And I think what you're seeing with him, albeit very early, is similar to what we saw with Devin Booker when he left Kentucky. Whereas... You know, Coach Cal, his system is very specific. And unless you're a point guard, you're not going to have the ball in your hands a ton to make plays. And I think both Devin and now Tyler are very underrated playmakers coming out of school, uh, whether it's pick and roll, um, getting into the lane, making plays for others, scoring at all three levels. Tyler's improved his body dramatically. Uh, really, ever since high school, he's, he's taken it upon himself and Having spent a fair amount of time with him before the draft, I can tell you that he wanted to make it an emphasis to show, hey, I can do more. And you're seeing it now, and I think we'll see it all year. And he's in a great position because Miami obviously needs perimeter shooting around Jimmy Butler, and he can provide just that and a lot more. Yeah, I see some similarities in how they were used at Kentucky compared to how their game will blossom in the NBA. Obviously, Kentucky has a history of players being better in the NBA than they were in college. You look back at Anthony Davis. I knew Anthony Davis was going to be good, but I didn't see the transformation, you know, that he's making now. I didn't see that at Kentucky. Obviously, he's put on size. He's become more well-rounded. He can block shots. He can knock down shots. He can dribble. He can post up. He can do everything. He didn't show all that at Kentucky for a multitude of reasons, the opportunities, the touches, the amount of talent they had on that team, and how he was utilized affected him. The same goes for Devin Booker, Tyler Look at DeMarcus Cousins. You look at Carl Anthony Towns, another player who was good in college. He dominated, but his game has continued to evolve. He's shooting threes now. He's basically a 50-40-90 7-footer, which is insane to think about. So historically, it's been like that for Kentucky. You got the John Wall era where they had John, Cuz, um, 
Eric Bledsoe, a guy who's a point guard but was playing the two because John was at the one. There's a lot of a lot of situations to where guys aren't able to really show who they are because of spacing, because of utilization. And once they get to the league, they either blossom or they become more than what people expect. And I think this is a case or a situation where it's been happening a lot at Kentucky. And when they get to the NBA, they become better players. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I was going to say Cat as well, coming in as a monster recruit. I saw him play for the Dominican against the USA in a, uh, a like a FIBA scrimmage friendly game uh, at the Garden as a high schooler. And I thought... This guy is going to be unbelievable at Kentucky. And he was very good, but he wasn't what I think he could have been. And obviously, there's you mentioned him being perhaps the most efficient seven-footer in the league, maybe alongside Jokic, um, doing so many things and so many more things than he was able to do in college. Uh, do you think that – I'm curious for you, just a little bit tangent here, but like if you would have gone to a bigger school, I mean, you wouldn't have had the same opportunities, especially early on in your career – to play make and handle the ball and, and take big shots and, and learn how to be a clutch shot maker, right? I think it just depends on where you go to school at and what opportunity they present you with. But nine times out of 10, when you're a McDonald's All-American and an elite level recruit and you go to a team that's crowded, it's hard to really be yourself unless you're just the number one player in the country and they give you the ball right away. It's hard to really be yourself because you're trying to figure out your identity. You're trying to still blend in with the team and not step on anyone's toes. But when you go to your own team as a high-level recruit, as some players have done historically, where they go to a smaller school, take, for instance, Ben Simmons. He didn't go to a small school, but he went to a school where he could be the man and have the ball in his hands right away. He was with three or four other you know, high level recruits, but he was the man of that team in terms of being a point forward and being able to have the reins of the offense. And then you have other cases or instances where guys go to a school that's kind of crowded. So you either have to wait your turn or there's already an established presence there at certain positions to where you know they're getting the ball down the stretch. But I think the game has continued to evolve. I'm, I'm thankful I went to a small school because I was able to kind of grow, learn, develop, play through mistakes, um, have the ball in my hands be able to take and make big shots, be a leader early on in my career to where, although I had seniors on my team as a freshman, I learned from the seniors and then I was named a captain in my sophomore year to where I had to grow up quick. I had to learn how to make decisions for myself, make decisions for others, lead off the court, keep people engaged with the team even when they weren't playing. It's more so managing feelings, managing personalities, figuring out how to get the best out of each teammate early on to where certain certain instances or situations as a young player, you just figure it out how to be successful individually. You don't really worry about the team. You figure out yourself first, and then you bring it together later on in your career and figure out the team aspect. Yeah, CJ, my advice to kids when I talk to some of the three-star players is, you know, don't get so caught up in going to a pedigree school. Uh, just because you go to a blue-chip school doesn't mean you're going to play in the NBA or play professionally, but go somewhere where you're comfortable, whether it's a high mid-major, a mid-major. Go where the system fits you, the coaching staff, uh, how are the players treated, what's school like day-to-day. -day. There's so much more than basketball. And then from a basketball perspective, you know, how do I fit in? And I think that's the most important part. And, and I wonder for you, like, if you hadn't gone to Lehigh, if you had gone to, let's say, a bigger school, would you have had the same opportunities to to flourish early on in your career? Because obviously you wouldn't have been conference player of the year at a school like Michigan during your freshman year. It just wouldn't have happened. And it's similar to the NBA where we've seen players 
leave certain situations and have tremendous success in other systems. Uh, we talked about D'Angelo Russell. There's more examples, and though I'm sure that like this year, I, I wonder uh, who that player or those players will be this season. W- one player that is not leaving, but I think needs to have a, a better year, and we expect to have a monster year is Jason Tatum. Boston obviously um, is going to lean on him even more so without Kyrie, and I think Kemba will be able to defer to him more. I, I thought last year, CJ, with Tatum, too oftentimes he would he would limp to a slow start and then not really be featured at all throughout the game. And you know, Kyrie would sometimes play hero ball, which would often work, but Tatum never seemed to get into rhythm last year. And on top of that, took way too many mid-range shots, did not get to the basket. He only takes a, fr- a few free throws a game, which for his size and ability is, uh, is is stupefying. And then also he didn't shoot the ball very well from the line either. I wonder for Jason Tatum, is this the real breakout year? Because he obviously has about as much talent as anybody. Yeah, I definitely think he's going to take a step forward this year. I think he just has to get back to the basics. Um, the year Kyrie Irving was injured, I think a lot of them took it personally that – they were kind of doubted. It wasn't, there wasn't any consensus of who the man was of that team at that point. It was everybody right. just kind of figuring themselves out, finding their own identity and playing freely because there was no expectations and no pressure. When Kyrie came back, there was that championship pressure of they have a full team now. They got Terry Rozier coming off the bench. They, they're loaded on the wings they should be in contention to win a championship. And I think that extra pressure and the uncertainty of roles, who should take what shots, uh, who's the score, who's the aggressor, whose team is it, I think all that stuff played a part. And obviously they had some issues in the locker room and, and just trying to figure out um, how to coexist with Kyrie again. I think that changed the dynamic. Now without Kyrie, you bring in a guy like Kimba Walker, who's a different player, obviously, than Kyrie, but he's an all-star caliber player. He's a good leader. He's, he had a year with Tony Parker. So he's able to kind of pick Tony's brain and get that championship pedigree and figure out how to lead a team. I think this is a better look for the Celtics because it's a fresh start. Jason Tatum can be himself. Jalen Brown can be himself. All those players can be themselves and coexist with Kimba. Um, after going through a year with Kyrie, I think they they know how to play with an alpha. They know how to play with a guy who's going to take big shots, make big shots, and lead them to where I think they can all coexist and be free. But Tatum will feel more comfortable spreading his wings having gone through a year uh, with Kyrie. So I think this is a year that uh, he's going to be pretty impressive. He's looked good in preseason in limited time. Obviously, it is preseason, so you can't read too much into it. But I think just that year of growth, going from a rookie to that second year, that sophomore slump always hits because there's more scouting on you. There's more film, and people have a better sense and idea of your tendencies. I think that third year is when you make another leap uh, because you're more comfortable. Yeah, Brad Stevens has already talked about Jason Tatum looking differently and more aggressive. Both him and Jalen Brown are up for our rookie skill extensions. I don't think Brown's going to get it, but I would be very surprised if Tatum doesn't. I think the Kimball Walker fit, I've been very clear on this, CJ, is is really going to pay dividends for Boston. I know they're going to miss Al Horford, but I think not. no Marcus Morris, no Kyrie Irving. I think that's just fine for them and the way they want to play. And I think... As the season goes on, there will be a, some sort of timeshare between Kemba and Jason Tatum uh, for the you know down the stretch. I mean, Kemba is a big shot maker. You, you've talked about him being one of the hardest guys to guard. But like I, I was just in Seattle with PJ, PJ Carlissimo, who was in China uh, with Team USA, and he was saying that you know Jason Tatum, the things this guy can do at his age and his understanding of footwork, and I mean, there's 
very few people in the world that can do that. He, he just needs to put it together. And I think the system, the coach, it's all there for him. Do you think Boston has a chance to contend for a championship this year or are they just kind of a, maybe a front runner in the East? Like, can they, can they beat Milwaukee, for example? Are they, are they that good? I think anything is possible. Um, you look at the home court advantage that they'll have. You know, obviously the fans in Boston always come out in full force. I think Milwaukee's a better team right now based on experience, based on continuity. They basically bring back a lot of the same players. Uh, Boston makes a key change at the point guard position. So there'll be, there'll be a time period where they have to adjust. But Milwaukee Bucks still have what I think is the best player in the Eastern Conference, which ultimately kind of gives you that that upper hand when you have your best player return and most of the supporting cast returning as well. So I, I think they can compete with Milwaukee, but I, I think I give Milwaukee a slight advantage just because of the experience they were able to gain last year and how dominant they were in that series um, against the Celtics. I think that kind of lingers in the back of your mind when you're dominated like that in a series um, in the previous year. But I think they can compete. I don't know if they necessarily will get out of the East. you got the Philadelphia 76ers. Obviously, Toronto's still a sleeper in the Eastern Conference. You have a, a good Brooklyn team who's going to continue to evolve and get better. Obviously, KD will probably sit out this season, but when he comes back, they're always in contention because of that star power and in, in ability to dominate games with multiple players. But I think Milwaukee has to be considered yeah. a favorite right now. What's the biggest difference from Kyrie and Kemba for the Celtics specifically under Brad Stevens? I think Kemba is probably a better fit in in the Boston system because of the movement aspect of it. Kyrie is a great player. He fits in everywhere, but he's very ball dominant. Um, a lot of isolation situations. Um, he's used to having the ball in his hands. I think in Brad Stevens' offenses, historically, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of pick and roll with a with a big who's flexible. I think this year they'll probably go at three large wings and have a six eight six nine guy playing the four, which is probably going to be Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, or Jason Tatum. So now you have a situation where your four man is able to uh, get mismatches and get closeouts on bigger defenders. Uh, obviously, Kimba can play off the ball as well. Um, he's a guy who's good in catch and shoot situations. I think he's just I think he's just a better fit. Uh, I could be completely wrong. I could be completely um, wrong about everything I'm saying right now. No, but I just agree. Based I agree. on how every, based on how it went with Kyrie, I think Kimba will be a better fit, and I think the team will be more used to having a ball dominant guard in position, having gone through the experiment right. with Kyrie these past few years. I think he can help Tatum too, Kimba. I mean, he, he's. I think it'll help Tatum. From a standpoint of, well, hopefully Tatum takes more threes and gets to the line more, but I think he'll be more comfortable with someone like Kemba who is probably more willing to defer, especially in late-game scenarios, than Kyrie ever ever would be. Yeah, and I mean, Kyrie admitted it. He said he wasn't used to being around so many young guys, and he, he reached out to LeBron and basically thanked him and apologized for how he behaved you know, during his time in Cleveland at times because he was young, he didn't really understand it. And I think the role kind of reversed for Kyrie. Although Kyrie's you know, mid-20s, he's been through a lot, been in the league a long time and experienced playing on the biggest stage and winning championships and hitting big shots. So I think his sense of urgency was high, similar to how LeBron's was when he was first beginning to play with Kyrie. And, and Kyrie kind of got a glimpse of the importance of every possession, the importance of practice, not taking advantage of the small things. And I think for him, it was hard to kind of get through to the younger guys at first because he just expected them to all understand 
the importance of everything. And they were, you know, 20, 19, 21 years old, still trying to figure out the league. And here's Kyrie demanding, you know, the most out of them when he, when he wasn't understanding that he was in that same position, you know, just five or six years ago himself. You talk about uh, getting the most out of every possession. You, you've, you've also said, see, that, you know, you, you don't feel like load management is something that the Blazers should be considering or, or doing too much of. Can you elaborate on that? What, what do you mean, I guess, by load management and how it relates to Portland and also just being in the West with how competitive we know it's going to be? You know, you, you cannot take a night off. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you want to take care of your body. You want to put yourself in a position to be as fresh as possible for the playoffs, obviously. Um, historically, looking at you know, how the league has continued to evolve. You start with the San Antonio Spurs, how they've tinkered with lineups and how they've used certain games as rest periods for their star players in which in turn allows the bench to develop. It allows role players to get more comfortable in different roles. I think this season we have to be very strategic with how we approach load management, Um, looking at how close the race will be in the Western Conference, looking at how close it's been historically, three through eight have been, I don't know, a game to a game and a half uh, away from being a home seed and being out of the playoffs. So it's it's tough. And I think my biggest point was, would we like to rest at times? Absolutely. I think everybody wants to rest at times and be as fresh as possible, but you have to be strategic with how you rest. It starts for us with resting in practices, not taking every rep in practice. I think as you get older, you only need a few reps and then you can sit out and sub sub yourself out. Don't be afraid to understand that you already have a grasp of the plays. You already have a brass, a grasp of the schemes and what Coach Terry expects of us. So being strategic with practice loads, being strategic with when I'm resting versus when I'm working out uh, on off days. I think all those things factor into how I'll feel on game days. And as the season progresses, um, we'll look at dates. We'll look at um, certain times of the year to where maybe I, I, t- I take a lighter load on in practice and see how that translates to how I feel um, late in season. But I just don't think we're in a place right now where we can just – pick games on the calendar and say, all right, we're going to sit these games because you never know how the season's going to go. You never know how important certain games may be in the standings in the race in the Western Conference. You may sit games early and then later in the season, those games you sat could really determine whether or not you're playing at home or, or going on the road when the playoff starts. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Shifting gears a little bit with, with KD, he said the Knicks can't rely on past success. They're not as cool with younger players. Said this on Hot 97 in New York. I was 
in agreement with Kevin, but it's interesting that now that he's here, he says that, or here in, in Brooklyn, he says, you know what I'm saying? That the cool thing now is not the Knicks. The Knicks are still the Knicks in terms of Madison Square Garden, but Cachet has left the franchise, and it did a long time ago, frankly, under James Dolan. Uh, this is a sticky one because, for one, this is just his opinion, and everyone has a right to their own opinion. I think basically what he's trying to say is that a lot of people, players, aren't caught up into that New York hype. But it's funny he says that because I think it was reported that the Knicks didn't offer Katie a max. Is that is that correct? It was specifically that the Knicks didn't feel that they necessarily needed to offer him a max. There were different reports. We've talked about it. I'm sure he felt it as a slight. But um, the Knicks haven't been able to land a marquee free agent since Amari Stoudemire, really. Um, and that's been about a decade. And even then, they haven't had that true blue chip number one guy come here. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a fact. It's been hard for them to land free agents as of late. Obviously, they uh, missed out on some key free agents this summer. And, you know, Kyrie, Kawhi, KD, among many others, uh, opting not to go to the Knicks. But I think it's more so a slap in the face because they decided to go to Brooklyn, uh, which is literally, I don't know, 35 minutes up the road, depending on traffic. Um, so basically what he's trying to say is that they're making Brooklyn cool again. I think he could have just said that they're making Brooklyn cool as opposed to down in the Knicks, but he has a right to his own opinion. And I think a lot of things probably factored into why he used the words that he used in this particular situation based on past success and how younger players are looking to go elsewhere. But I thought it was funny how Julius Randle said he feels cool uh, in the blue and orange. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a great looking uniform. I love Juju. He's one of the, Good dudes in the league. Uh, they, they're trying, the Knicks are, to be relevant. But the ownership has obviously been a catastrophe. And when you think about the Nets getting both Kyrie and Kevin, it is a slight. But, CJ, I just think it's interesting that we always seem to hear about KD with these comments, whether it's on social media or in an inter interview setting, especially now that he's here. There we know 35 Inches was here. I was just with Rich Kleiman, his manager, last week. They, they're moving into a beautiful new building, and it's all happening. But unfortunately for Nick fans, it's not happening for them. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of animosity from both parties. Um, the Knicks obviously aren't very happy that many players have decided not to go there, more specifically KD and Kyrie, I think. KD was probably upset with you know what got out about him and how they didn't feel the need to offer him the max. So there's a lot of things that probably were said that obviously under different circumstances, different situations probably wouldn't have been said. But the moral of the story here is that players have decided to go to Brooklyn, star yeah. players, more specifically in this case. And Knicks fans um, are probably not happy with how free agency has no. played out in these yeah. past couple of years because they've missed on a lot of star players. But they were able to to gain some some pretty solid talent. Obviously, they drafted well with the R.J. Barrett um, selection, and they were able to pick up Julius Randle, among many others. Uh, a funny story for you. Not a story, but a funny situation. Uh, Morris Twin hits uh, mm -hmm. another player in the head with the ball yep. and, and says that, he wouldn't have done it if it was regular season, but he's basically sending a message that the Knicks aren't to be messed with. What type of message do you think he's sending to players by doing that in the preseason? Because me personally, I'm not sure what I got out of it besides that that was just 
that was just a wild basketball play or non-basketball play. Well, and I love the Morris twins. I think they're great, great players in their own right. Yeah. Well, it was Marcus Morris, former Celtic, who was ejected. Um, it was against the Wizards, I think. And I was, I didn't see it live, but it was all over the the New York media um, a few days ago. I thought it was really strange that he said he wouldn't do it in the regular season. Why would he do it in the preseason when it really doesn't matter? And sending a message is irrelevant. I, I, I the whole thing was weird to me. I, I didn't. I didn't get it at all. I know that the Morris twins are, you know, they're Philadelphia guys from, uh, you know, trying to create this kind of, at least Marcus is trying to create this, you know, Knicks toughness that they haven't had. But this is still one of the more bare rosters in the East, and they're, they're going to be lucky to win 30 games. So I don't really know what you're, <laughs> what you're, what you're accomplishing. I honestly think that he just didn't want to play in the second half of that preseason game. Okay, so it was as simple as that. He just wanted to get. I think that's what it came down to. He was ready to get. He he didn't want to be out there. He had 17 in the first half, and guy was pressuring him a little tighter than he would have liked, and it just kind of triggered something. I think. Yeah. I think that's what happened based on what I've seen. Okay, last point for you, Mr. McCollum. We've talked all hoops. This has been a very fun pod, and uh, I think sets the table for the uh, the rest of preseason and the regular seasons. To get going, but one thing that uh, hasn't been addressed is once again your Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield, Richard Sherman. They laid a colossal egg Monday night. Um, man, in, in, man in the, oh man! Against the Niners, I, that was the worst prime time performance by like a team that has some expectations. I think I've ever seen. It might have been the worst prime time performance any of us have ever seen. They got absolutely blitzed. Baker looked terrible. And on top of that, him and Richard Sherman had some type of weird, what they call a dap gate. So just what do you feel about this situation, C? Honestly, I'm at a loss for words right now. Um, the highs and lows of this season have been overwhelming. Um, the lows have been whew, so low. 30-point loss at home on opening night to the Tennessee Titans. Then we bounce back and play great. And then we blow it. You know, on calls, fourth and nine draws, four straight passes at the four-yard line. Then we bounce back and have a great win on the road in Baltimore, and Baker looks great. Offense is clicking, making quick, decisive reads. The line's protecting. Chubbs is running the ball. We're all happy. And then we go on the road, and it's almost like we just forgot how to play football. Execution was poor. We're dropping routine passes. The line's not protecting as well as it should. Baker's forcing the ball in in crowded areas. We stray away from the run game. Then we get down by so much that we can't run the ball anymore and establish the run. So it's just an interesting situation to where I feel like we're experimenting too much. We're trying to keep too many people happy. We need to just execute the game plan. Obviously, we have a lot of great receivers. Uh, We got Juice. We got OBJ. Um, We have a great running back. We have a quarterback who's young but is capable of showing flashes of brilliance. But we just have to be able to get the ball out quicker. We have to be able to protect uh, Baker. We have to be able to utilize the run. And I think defensively, uh, those zone schemes really hurt us against the uh, Niners. Shanahan did a great job of getting his his players in space, those zone blocking. They look fresh coming off a of bye week. Not to make excuses, but we travel you know, across the country and literally – got punched in the mouth. So it'll be interesting to see how we respond. Everybody's talking about Baker, his confidence, and how he's struggling this season. But um, it's easy to see that the season isn't going as planned. Um, he hasn't been as efficient as we would like. But I think that's there's a number of reasons 
why that's happening. I think first and foremost, we have to remember that Baker's only started 18 games in his career. That's a little over a season. A season, basically two games if you don't count the bye week. And I think it shows with the lack of consistency each week, the lack of play calling consistency each week. You know, we go from one or two trick plays to starting the game with a trick play against the 49ers. I think there's a lot of experimenting going on to where we need to just get back to the basics. But I was really down on the Browns. I was down on Baker. He gave me zero points in my fantasy. And I'm a loyal person, so I give people a chance as an athlete because I understand that they're not trying to play poorly. It's just happening that way. But to give people perspective, a good friend of mine, Jeremy, he, he's been wanting to come on to the, come on the pod for a long time. He's like a football advocate. He loves all things football, college, NFL alike. And he sent me this list of stats. Andrew Luck threw his first 18 starts, 26 touchdowns, 19 interceptions, 12 and 6 record. John Elway threw his first 18 starts, 13 touchdowns, 21 interceptions, 11 and 7 record. Peyton Manning threw his first 18 starts, 31 touchdowns, 32 interceptions, 4 and 14 record. This is just a reminder of These are two Hall of Famers and one guy who was on his way to potentially a Hall of Fame career who stepped away from the game. Luck was over 500, was terrific. Elway was over 500, but had more interceptions than touchdowns. Peyton Manning was not great. 4-14 and record. I think he led the league in interceptions and touchdowns. Peyton Manning, his rookie year. He did. And people were ready to throw him away. And last but not least, Baker, Baker Mayfield threw 18 starts, 31 touchdowns, 22 interceptions, 8 and 10 records. So the touchdown to interception ratio is pretty good. The record 8 and 10, two games under 500 is not great. But considering he plays for the Browns, and this is coming from a Browns fan, I'm not surprised at the record because historically we haven't been great. So the moral of the story is to give it time. Obviously, Baker is very sure of himself, he's very confident. So the scrutiny, more so comes on to him, which is deserved when you are very confident in your abilities and yourself and you have a track record of performing at a certain level, you should be held and accountable for your actions. So for interceptions, for poor for poor for performance, I blame the entire team. I blame our staff. I blame our offense. I blame our offensive line. I blame Baker. I blame OBJ. I blame them all because you're all a part of it. And when things don't go well for the Blazers, who do they point the finger at? They point the finger at the top. It starts at Dame, and it starts with me, and it's our fault when things don't go well. And it's usually our team's success when things go right. So I think they all have to be accountable, look themselves in the mirror, understand that they have to turn this around. We have the Seahawks coming up, we have a bye week, and then we have the Patriots. We are two games away from being two and five. And I think at that point, everyone becomes hot-seatable, if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, Yeah, especially the head coach. I've been very critical of Mr. Kitchens. They don't have an identity as a football team. That's my issue. They just don't have an identity. It it looks like they never really know what they want to do or how they want to do it, and uh, that that just will not work at this level. So I'm very concerned about your football club. I appreciate the stats about on Baker. I think you know he. There's tremendous amount of pressure on him, but he he needs to be better. The line needs to be better on both sides. I think Noah Njoku has been a big loss. I'm not panicking, but um, I'm close to that if I'm if I'm a Cleveland fan. Yeah, this is this is tough times for Cleveland fans. Honestly, I flew all the way to the game to watch. Brought some of my teammates out. Some of my closest friends came out, and it was embarrassing. 
It was very embarrassing to watch. I felt bad for them. It looked like they were ready to go home, honestly. Um, I've been there as an athlete to where things aren't going well. You're getting whooped on, and then you're thinking about, man, we got to fly all the way back across the country and think about this whooping we just took. So it's tough, but I think this is great. When you hit, when you hit this type of adversity, you go through these types of struggles, I think it builds character. And I just hope for the sake of our Browns franchise that this builds uh, character for our guys and we come together as opposed to pointing the finger and separating. Yeah. One last thing that we should discuss. Did you see Ben Simmons make a three-pointer with the team up 40 in the reaction? I don't know what was more – I guess I don't know what was stranger, CJ, the fact that he made a three or the reaction. I mean, what are we do? What are we talking about here? He made a three-pointer. I, I guess – I know it's a big deal. He's never done it. But, man, that was a little strange, a little too much. I think the best part about all of it was that people were going to Vegas – and betting on Ben Simmons winning MVP off of that one three-pointer. They're thinking like, yo, if he's going to shoot threes, he's got to win the MVP. I think that's the funnier part of all of this really? is that that one three-pointer swayed people to, to literally go place. Yes, odds makers. People were literally literally giddy to go bet on Ben Simmons winning MVP off of that three-pointer. Well, I'm not one of them. Not the fact that he's just, he's just great at a lot of things, but because he hit a three. <laughs> also... I mean, how many threes is he going to take this year? I don't think he'll, he'll, he'll surpass the 20 mark. So, realistically, unless he hits like an 80-footer, I don't think he's going to make one in the game. I feel like he already maxed out his quota. <laughs> I think he'll definitely shoot some threes this year. Um, guys are going to be backing off of him, as they should, because he's a real threat uh, at making plays in the lane. So I think he'll shoot some this year. I'm not sure how efficient he'll be, but the fact that he felt more comfortable in shooting it, I think is a sign of hopefully good things to come for Sixers fans. But I was more so impressed with Joel Embiid's ability to influence him. He did. He literally talked him into taking that three. I don't think Ben wanted to shoot it. Uh, JoJo really talked him into that one. And and I think for for Philly fans' sake and for his confidence, I think it's good to, to see the ball go in. I like it. All right. And we want to thank all our listeners out there for tuning in faithfully to the pull-up pod. Looking forward to getting some guests back on here shortly. i got a lot of teammates who have inquired about the pod and want to come on. So I will be setting that up in the near future. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, backslash pull up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up. Pull up.